This is Suzanne Nicholson. Fact about me, I love Keanu Reeves. Looking forward to John Wick 4. I hope he lives. You are listening to The Leftscape, The Shape of Progressive Conversation. So happy to be a part of this amazing discussion today. Hi, I'm Robin Renee, and you are listening to The Leftscape, the shape of progressive conversation. And I'm Wendy Sheridan, and welcome to episode 139. In today's show, we will share my interview with Suzanne Nicholson, who is the first Black female cannabis dispensary owner in New Jersey. She told me all about what it took to establish holistic solutions, the need for equity in this growing industry, and her family and spiritual connections with cannabis. And before that, we will enter the artscape to hear about Wendy's recent artwork, which I'm excited to learn about. I'm excited to tell you. So (laughs) (laughs) nice. as always, you can catch a new episode of The Leftscape every other Wednesday. Subscribe to the show on our website, leftscape.com, or find us wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're on our site, don't forget to sign up for our newsletter, The Leftscape Lookout. We're on social media at Leftscape on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And we love to hear from you. And your reviews really help us out as well. And please consider supporting us on Patreon. Join us at any level starting at just $1 a month. All Patreon supporters have access to our exclusive segment, We Should Be Recording This. And if you're able, you can increase your contribution and receive other gifts and opportunities. Check us out at patreon.com slash leftscape. Our upcoming We Should Be Recording This segment is titled Popular Slut Club. And we are (laughs) looking forward to releasing it at the end of this month. That's an interesting one. Are we going to just jump right into the random facts and the news? Pinus sylvestris, the Scots pine, Scotch pine, or Baltic pine, is a species of tree in the pine family Pinacea that is native to Eurasia. It can readily be identified by its combination of fairly short blue-green leaves and orange-red bark. Hmm. And that's, they grow it here now too, yes? Isn't that yeah. like the trees? Sounds- it sounds like it. I'm thinking of, I forget which, anyway, I'm picturing one. That I think I know what it is, but I'd, I'd have to look at a, a photo too to check it. I picked this fact a while ago, so I'll have to refresh my own memory. <laughs> well, my fact was also picked a while ago. April 11th, 1954 was recorded as the most boring day in the world. Statistics show that no significant occurrences took place anywhere. I like that fact. That's funny. We need some of those. Yeah, right. I was thinking, like, <laughs> may you live in interesting times is not Oh, my God. A somebody, blessing. Somebody cursed the whole country with that shit, man. <laughs> and now is all the news that we can handle. So, 
So the test launch of SpaceX Starship was supposed to happen today on Monday when we were recording this. And I had tuned in <laughs> and I was going to watch it because I haven't watched a launch of anything in way too long. I used to be very geeky about outer space. Used and then, I, and then, yeah, well, you, well, I became less interested over time because I, my dreams of becoming an astronaut died young and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, mm -hmm. they scrubbed the launch on Monday morning due to an issue uncovered during fuel loading. The launch vehicle named Starship is made up of a first stage booster and a reusable spacecraft. And it's the tallest and most powerful rocket ever assembled. And during the little video I was watching, they had a shot of the engines and like, holy shit. It's like, I think it's got like 30 something engines. Like there's a big circle of engines and then it's got a whole cluster in the center that are aimable, which really kind of blew my mind. So it's like, obviously rocket technology has advanced in the 25 years I haven't been paying attention. So, and it got me interested again. So I guess that's cool. The launch crew pivoted from a live launch to test the first stage separation and achieve orbit into a wet test where the countdown was halted a few seconds before ignition. So once they found the problem, they said, all right, we're gonna finish the script but stop it before we press the button to light it. So I'm not sure when they're going to try again hmm. because they didn't say. So yeah, that's yeah. that's that piece. <laughs> I'm actually more excited about space again too. And I think the idea of getting you know, the fact that like we went to the moon when I was such a little kid and now that's sort of, that's back in the, in the near future, you know, it seems like, it's more in the news in general, but I'm I'm more interested to pay attention now too. It seems kind of exciting stuff. Yeah, so. very cool. Ah, so okay, back to Earth. <laughs> back to Earth, <laughs> right? A Texas judge recently blocked the sale of the abortion pill mifepristone, also known as RU486, saying that it should not have been approved by the FDA. Uh, so <laughs> I I think you know they're saying that it's unsafe and you know they I mean they they, they, they had initially... a bunch of bullshit they of had course. a bunch of bullshit people talking about it and convincing him like oh it's dangerous <laughs> right right <laughs> <laughs> I like your, your spooky sound ooh scary ooh. <laughs> So the Supreme Court has temporarily preserved the FDA approval, but this is a very brief window. It, it expires on Wednesday, the day uh -huh. that you'll hear this. So in the meantime, they are going to decide if they'll put a longer hold on the ruling. So we will see what happens with that. It's, it's interesting. I was listening to Radio Lab the other day and they repeated a show that they had done a while back just because it was so topical. And they were talking about how the abortion pill drugs were, you know, how, how it developed and everything, but it was very much, you had to take them in the presence of a doctor. It was very sort of like regulated and COVID actually made it simpler because they just kept doing more and more like, you know, ways that people could do it on their own and that sort of thing. And it showed that the same efficacy and, you know, my small amount of you know, complications, it's really a very safe thing. And it didn't really matter whether the doctor was in front of you or you were able to do it at home and sort of monitor yourself or do it over online or however. Right. Um, so it's just a little frustrating that we've gotten to a place where it was simple and easy for people to 
deal with this issue and now it's like it's like you can't no it shouldn't have been approved so right it's like the alternative the alternative is a surgical procedure which carries its own set of risks you know right so this is the 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 medical the med the drug-induced abortions are i think a lot safer and way less invasive and absolutely yeah you know, and they require to... a, a lot less you know i mean the other thing is a fucking surgical procedure so you need a doctor and you need a nurse and you need you know possibly an anesthesiologist depending on you know what the clinic's processes are and and you know this it's not it's not grandma's abortion anymore it's <laughs> right <laughs> that's a t-shirt <laughs> <laughs> but right and on the and the, the very small chance that there's going to be an issue like we want those possibilities to be available yes when someone needs to get to a doctor but you mostly don't need that now no and it's, uh, no now it's you monitor it's like you monitor how much you're bleeding i think yeah. is you know like how many pads you go through in a certain amount of time and if it exceeds a certain number then it's like call us immediately and then and then they take it from there right but, right um well anyway, i'm hoping yeah. that the supreme court realizes that they fucked up with roe and uh, uh they maybe, won't. well yeah i mean i think they know that it's not a popular decision Dobbs. I know. I know. Well, what what so, we need to do, we need to we need to codify it. Congress has to take care of this and good yeah. luck. Good luck with that shit. Uh, <laughs> okay. What's the next, <laughs> next, next. item? Yeah. A new study has determined that the 2022 volcanic explosion in Tonga was the largest natural explosion in over a century at 15 megatons. Wow. The explosion, and here we go with another one of I, I picked a lot of things with foreign names that I'm that we can all laugh when I try to pronounce them. The explosion of Hunga Tonga Hunga Haape. I hope that's how I said it right. Generated a mega tsunami with waves up to 45 meters high, which is 148 feet or what six giraffes? I, I forget now along the coast of Tonga's Tofua Island and waves up to 17 meters, 56 feet on Tonga Tapu, the country's most populated island. The underwater volcanic eruption rivaled the 1883 eruption of Krakatau that killed over 36,000 people. Oh God. Yeah, wow. yeah, that's what, in the, in America, in the English press, that's, that island was, or that volcano was called Krakatoa, which I guess, Right, that I remember. Okay, yeah, right. I remember and it's, that name. Yeah, it's they. Yeah, I'm assuming the peoples who live there have corrected the English speaking peoples. Like, no, that's not how you write that. So, mm-hmm. uh, I have a quote from Sam Perkis, who's a professor and chair of the Department of Marine Geosciences at the Rosenstiel School says, despite its size and long duration, the mega tsunami that resulted from the Hungatanga Hunga Haape claimed few lives. The main factors that led to this, we suggest, are the quirk of the location, the COVID-19 pandemic, and increased evacuation drills and awareness efforts carried out in Tonga in the years prior to the eruption. 
So technology is saving lives now. It's, you know, a lot of, a lot of nations in the Pacific Ring of Fire, which is basically all of the coasts on all, both sides of the Pacific and the islands in the middle of the Pacific, because the Ring of Fire are the tectonic plates all around there, which is where there's a lot of earthquake and volcanic activity on both sides of the ocean. And we've developed some nice tracking and early warning systems and, and it's proving to be good because, you know, a few people dying versus 36,000, you know, in 1888, you, when you knew, the only way you knew a tsunami was coming was when it was there. So. Yeah. Wow. That is progress. For yeah. Sure. And th the luck of the, the pandemic in that moment is definitely. Also <laughs> Yeah, something good. You got to look at the bright side with a pandemic, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so, Dominion versus Fox News is due to begin this week. For anybody who doesn't know, which I, I doubt you don't know, but Fox News has been, had been saying that, you know, Dominion voting machines stole the votes, they changed the votes, they stole the election, yada, yada. And Dominion brought a lawsuit for defamation that's over a billion dollars. I don't know what the number is, but like a lot of money. And that was set to start Monday. And currently it's delayed by one day. So this is another episode of <laughs> this may have already happened. <laughs> our yeah. latest segment, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> that should be that should be our new instead of all the news we can handle is like the news that may have already happened. <laughs> <laughs> or may not have happened by the time you hear this. <laughs> right, exactly. So, yeah, so by the time you hear this, you the, the, the trial may have started. Or what we hope doesn't happen is that what people really think now is that the delay is that Fox News is trying hell or high water to get Dominion to settle at this point. Because yeah. they realize they're, they really are dead to rights in the sense that they all those text messages came out of Fox News hosts like very clearly saying that they knew what they were saying wasn't true and they were really trying to preserve and increase ratings and it's just all laid out so clearly you know i know and the thing the thing i think that fox is desperate to avoid is having all of even more damaging information made public right you know i mean already it's 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 well it came out that they had withheld information that they were supposed to have already handed over <laughs> yeah, what? they're in they're in deep doo doo. Right <laughs> That's now. a way of putting it. I mean, <laughs> the fact that like Rupert Murdoch, they said that he wasn't actually involved, but he actually is an executive at Fox and weighs in on guests that they should have and things that they should talk about and things that. They were saying that he was like totally hands off, uh, and that's obvious. That's clearly not the case now. Oh man! Uh, please, um, Dominion, please do not settle. Yes, please, please. Please. I just saw a tweet from uh, AG from Mueller. She wrote who was saying exactly that, like, don't do it. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but one of the things, I, this is one of the most fascinating things, fascinating things to me about this is that the judge already settled the question of whether or not what Fox said was untrue. Like he took that off the table and said, oh. like, we're not even going to argue that because it's absolutely it's a proven, it's, it's fact. It's fact that what they said was not true. So what the jury will have to talk about is 
whether or not Fox acted with actual malice. That's what they have to prove. Oh, well, that'll be harder to prove. Well, maybe, maybe it'll be harder to prove. I mean, I think they've got a better shot out of it than any case I've heard of where they have like so many messages of people saying like, I don't believe this crap. This person's crazy, but we've got to shut up that reporter because they're telling the truth and we can't, we have to respect our audience was one of the quotes because the audience doesn't want the truth. And they were, they were going to, uh, uh, I, I, ah, (laughs) the audience doesn't want the truth. Literally, that my was their brain is exploding right now. <laughs> they were going to Newsmax to hear what they wanted to hear, as opposed to oh. any Fox, you know, host that was actually starting to question the uh, stories. So uh. it's pretty big. But I mean, just the idea that the judge wouldn't even allow them to discuss or debate whether or not they were telling the truth or whatever, like that's just not even part yeah. of it. So I'm like, that's kind of monumentous in a way. So we'll see. Yeah, but what that needs to be like written in the sky. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, anyway, California has a landmark law working through the legislature right now, making Hindu castes a protected class. The Dalit class, or known as untouchables in America, I guess, have faced discrimination in India and also in the United States. And okay, here we go with another name. And I was practicing this, so hang on a second. Activist Tenmozi Sandararajan. She has spent her life battling for equity. Caste is one of the most severe versions of anti-Asian hate, she says, but it's not as visible because it's hate amongst us. She describes the caste abolition movement in the United States as interfaith, multiracial, and very queer. We see caste as a workers' rights issue, a queer issue, and a gender justice issue. And there's a really interesting article about this and her in The Guardian. goes into a lot of her background and the struggles that she and other South Asian Americans who are Dalit as well and, and the issues that they have experienced and the discrimination that they've experienced in the United States as well as in India, but we're working on everybody getting equity here so this is yet another intersectional thing that like us white people have like no freaking clue about so so i'm just bringing it to your attention that this is happening and i and i hope california does specifically make the dalit cast a protected class in employment and stuff that is really good to learn about i've been hearing more about this in terms of the practice of yoga mm. and how a lot of the mantras and the and the things that we say that oh it's universal and beautiful and like a lot of that wasn't available to people of lower caste it was very much like a brahmin thing and if you you were lower you couldn't even utter some of the mantras really? and th- it's very it, wow it's, i had no idea so it is good to yeah, to learn I mean, about it, this stuff, you know, at least yeah, the history of it, whether or not you choose to practice it or how you whatever, but it's good to know yeah. how it comes to us. Yeah, it's it's also, you know, it's the first step for fixing these things is to become visible. And and this activist has been doing this work for a while and it's starting to get the international international attention, actually. So so good Bravo. Um, thank you yeah and the last 
bit I want to say is rest in peace, Al Jaffe. Al yeah. Jaffe was this amazing cartoonist who who invented the the Mad Magazine fold-in, and I was I kind of shocked twice within about a month or something. I, I remember seeing something about his birthday and that he turned 102 and I was like yeah Holy crap like Al Jaffe is alive and he's 102 you know? <laughs> and then to, when he died I was like oh my god Al Jaffe, Al Jaffe died so I mean that's a hundred and two is a, it's a good run so <laughs> that is amazing absolutely and the New York Times article was you know talking a lot about his work and everything. And, and I thought one of them was very funny and it sort of is a callback. <laughs> in uh, November, 2001, he did a uh, fold in and it said, the question was what mind altering experience is leaving more and more people out of touch with reality. And like, you look at the picture and it's all these people popping pills and getting high and doing all these things. And then you fold it in and it's the Fox news desk. <laughs> I was like, that's per that's pretty perfect. Ah, uh, yeah, but, uh, yeah. He will be missed. He He's... will be missed. I loved snappy answers to stupid questions. <laughs> that was a book that I thoroughly enjoyed with my friends when I was, you know, young, 10, 12. So rest in peace. Yeah, that is all the news we're handling today. Welcome to Artscape. And this is the segment where we talk to each other about our creative endeavors and our work and our travels. And I'm here to talk to Wendy and hear about what she's got going on. Yeah, thanks for having me on the show. <laughs> <laughs> I think I did that the last time. I got to cut that out. Um, <laughs> Get a new shtick. Yeah, I said I have lots of old shtick. So <laughs> I'm. 90% old stick. So yeah, I'm I'm gotten really busy suddenly. And and I've been busy painting. I'm doing all kinds of crazy little paintings and I'm taking an art class in well, it's not even a class class. It's just sort of 90 minutes once a week where we can all we all gather at the senior center and it's supposed to be watercolor and drawing, but I have seen people doing acrylics in there and doing other things. So it's like, a, I'd say about eight or nine of us senior citizens. It's, it's a nice thing. And from what I, what I understand is at the end of this class, they do, they do an art show at the senior center in Rahway. And the, the woman who's the facilitator of this class is saying it's much better than the countywide senior citizen art show that our our local art show is, is a lot better that we apparently have more talent or something i i don't know but <laughs> oh is it but, do you do critiques or do you just get together and create together we create together and you know because there's some people there who are very experienced artists you know there's there's people there who look like they have been doing art since they were very young and they're like in their 70s and whatever. And also the the facilitator is an art teacher. 
And I think she also teaches in the school system where she had at one point, you know, so if you have questions, she would offer critiques or, or you know, questions about materials. It's a place to try new things and experiment and get support from other artists in a very non-judgy way, which I like. You know, it's it's different than the other art classes that I've taken where the teacher would come and look at my work and say, this area isn't right, erase it and do it over, which I had never, that whole concept <laughs> was alien to me at the time before that. So that was really good for my growth as an artist, learning to like, you know, you don't just leave the mistake, you just fix it. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know. And sort of so figure anyway, out the technique, like what what is it that makes it look more accurate or more? Yeah, or right? yeah, or usually, well, this was also, I think this was, it wasn't exactly a figure drawing class, although I think at some point we did have live models sometimes. And, you know, that's always interesting to do. I mean, you know, as a, an artist model, you know, <laughs> you know how you know, it was there's that there's that uh, Facebook meme that was going around saying, you know, oh, yeah, if, you, if it's nude models and like they're, they're asking the models, like, do the artists, do you feel like, you know, they're staring at you lasciviously and and are they hitting on you and all of this? And they go and the model goes, no, no, it's like there's this guy over there who's been staring at my breasts for the last 30 minutes because he can't get the shading right. And this other guy looks like he's going to be in tears because he can't draw <laughs> right. this other thing. And, you know, <laughs> so, you know, it's not. It's not really for, yeah, it's not a peep show. <laughs> no, the only time I ever experienced anything like that was at like a drink and draw kind of a situation. <laughs> well, I think it just sounds the title like, of that, it's going to be that way. Right. And the guy was like, basically, why don't you smile? He gave me that <laughs> line. And I'm like, because that's not what artist models, I'm not, that's not what this is about, <laughs> you know? It was really <laughs> stupid. That but is anyway. funny. Yeah. <laughs> so this this art teacher at the senior thing let me know that the Union County Senior Art Show is happening like next week. Next week I have to drop off a painting. I can you're allowed to put one piece in. And I'm putting a piece in and it's actually one of my larger canvases, which is like too big for me to schlep to these other things I'm doing this spring. So I will have a piece at the Union County Senior Art Show. And the art show runs from April 20th to June 1st. And it's on the UCVTS campus at... UC, what does that stand for? I'm sorry, it's 1776 Raritan Road in Scotch Plains. And it's at Union County College. Union County, New Jersey, Scotch Plains campus. Uh, UCVTS is Union County Technical Vocational School. It's actually the campus where my daughter went to high school. So it has the Magnet School and the, the Votech and the Arts Academy. And there was a, a allied medical high school there too, as well. So I'm actually really familiar with that campus because I spent many years there on, on the PTA and <laughs> blah, blah, blah. I'm looking forward to seeing this show. And if you guys are in the area, you can see a piece of mine and and other elderly people in the county. <laughs> <laughs> is there a reception day? There is a closing reception. Okay. Which I'm amused about because... 
I, and I'm guessing they're doing the closing reception instead of an opening reception because at the closing reception, it's like you go there and you pick up your art and go home. You know, <laughs> it's just how they That's get very clever. <laughs> I'm hoping it'll be a, a good show, despite what my art teacher said about comparing it to the local one here. And then I don't know when that one will be. And I'm probably going to be putting something in that. And that'll probably be over this in the summer, late summer, early fall. In other news, I'm going to be attending two different science fiction conventions as well. We'll talk about that in a minute. But I, I've gotten all kinds of crazy shaped canvases for paintings. That's that's my latest my latest indulgence, I guess. There was there was this collection. I saw it on you know you know how when you're buying art supplies, suddenly every art supply store starts sending you ads and <laughs> and emails and stuff. So I saw these things and I bought this box of like triangular canvases and hexagonal canvases and little small square ones. That's interesting. So That's cool. Yeah. And I and then I ended up, I said, oh, shit, I should have got a round canvas too. So I got some round canvases, but they're wood and not canvas. I guess they're art surfaces. They're not canvas. The, the thing that intrigued me this time was this one art supply company that does a lot of wood canvases they're nice. They're like thick plywood and they have a carving in the back to hang a hanging hole. So you can just hook, you know, put your picture hook on the wall and just stick it on there. But they cut their these wood panels in bizarre shapes. The latest one, they it's like a, a unicorn head. So mm -hmm. I have a couple of those and I might do one that actually looks like a unicorn, but I'm thinking of painting just all kinds of little tiny weird things that if you stand back far enough kind of looks like a unicorn but when you get close you say like holy shit there's all this other crazy shit in there so i have no idea how that's going to come out and i'm hoping to have those done for balticon <laughs> which is in which is the end of of may because that's uh i will be having stuff in the art show at balticon as well this year like I did last year. And, and will they be mostly science fiction themed art or will it be other it's types supposed, of things? It's supposed to be. Okay. <laughs> it's supposed to be science fiction themed art. I sneak a lot of my weird things in there. Like cause just I had, you know, there will be robots because there will always be robots. Uh, <laughs> there must be robots. There must be robots. But, you know, I make other just weird looking things. I, I wouldn't say they're abstract, but they're not representative either. They're just, you know, shapes and these little things that look like they could be frogs or cats or something. They're just like these little shapes. I put these dots to make them look like their eyes. And and if you've seen, I guess I'll, I'll get, give you a picture for the website. And they just came out kind of randomly when I was doing therapeutic art, my therapist had me do a drawing and I had them in there and I'm like, oh, let me expand on that. So I've been putting them on a few pieces and they're not like a a theme or anything, but, but they ended up, I, I guess I did them all like that. So I would have a cohesive set of paintings if I was going to do like a show. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, you know, you want things to kind of hang together. Do they have like a 
a meaning or a, do you have a sense of what Not they really. are, who they are for you? No, no. And that's the thing. It's like, that's, I, I have to kind of, I think I have to kind of develop that because I'm definitely a person who like when I was in, in college and I, and I had, we did a photography exhibit in the dorm and one of the art teachers came through and was critiquing everything. And, and he's talking and talking about this might this one photograph I had and all this meaning and stuff. And then he says, well, what do you think about that? And he says, well, I, I thought the dog was cute. That's <laughs> why I took that picture. You know, and, <laughs> and I, I mean, he's very literal this shit to me. And it's like, well, I thought this was a cute dog. <laughs> it's like, so, I mean, yeah, I got, I suppose subconsciously all that shit was happening. Like, oh, the interjuxtaposition of light and dark and blah, blah, blah. It's like, ah. <laughs> Well, if you when you frame something though, are you see? I I would bet you're seeing those things to some degree. Maybe I'll, I'll pretend. I'll yes, okay. sure. Well, no, but I mean, <laughs> if you if you're looking at a photo to take, like you have a sense of which what makes a better photo, right? Just just how cute I the dog so. is. That yeah, is <laughs> yeah. Well, no, but that was this is. I guess it's also me, like you know, thinking the teacher is really fucking pretentious. So. <laughs> And I think a lot of that, you know, like those artist statement kind of things, I have to, I have to kind of get into that headspace, I guess, because, you know, serious artists have to, it's like, that's one of those things you have to do, I think. And I never had any formal art training, so, or even art appreciation training or any of that. So it's like, I don't know how to look at like a canvas like if you go to i think like the guggenheim or moma which is museum of modern art in manhattan for people who aren't in the new york area <laughs> um right we just that, found out that there was a pinocchio exhibit there which would have been wonderful yeah to go i know to. damn <laughs> it's closed it closed last it was week. the last day or whatever yeah i know it's like yeah tell me about the thing closing on the day it's closing it's like, damn it <laughs> But they'll have like this canvas and it's just all one color or it's like a white, two white and red, a white red rectangle and red rectangle. And it's like hanging in a museum and it's a big canvas and it's like, okay, <laughs> why is this here? I don't get it, you know? So I'm not, you know, if it's some like, like Jackson Pollock, I don't get why his stuff is considered... <laughs> fancy uh, art you know i don't understand so yeah he explodes balloons on top it's like okay and he gets to pick the colors and but it's you know i don't know it's okay. i don't understand that and that's probably because i haven't been taught how to understand that and i and i and i'm one of these people that think that art should you know you look at something and then you know if you like it or not you know that's kind of where i am with art hmm. and i don't know <laughs> no it's interesting we're very different in that so oh, i okay. want to understand i want to learn more about that okay but you have been i i think you've been in a, a fluorescent period in your work Are you oh i have been working in fluorescence. not all not completely okay and it's also because there is difficulty in viewing it in in 
like a, a sales situation or even a gallery situation mm -hmm. uh, unless unless the gallery is like the back room at spencer's you know where they have the black light post right next <laughs> like, to the vibrator section right <laughs> um, no it's because if there's ambient light in the room the black light isn't going to activate the fluorescent colors and mm -hmm. i mean we have like this four foot black light that that actually hangs really nicely on my new art panel that i have to schlep around to shows but i i don't know i'd have to build like a black tent around it for people to go in and see these which actually i might do if i have too many paintings in black light that's i'm talking to myself oh that's a good idea wendy that would um, kind of be a cool unusual experience you know yeah and annoying to set up well, <laughs> and i need that. to have that i need to make definitely have this space and i don't know if I'm selling enough to to justify paying for like extra space to make a a black light room at a at a show, right, right. and then and then it's like you got to kind of keep an eye on people going in there, and I don't know. There sounds like there could be logistic issues, mm. but but yeah, I've actually started doing more or less black light this year just for that purpose because I know where it's this stuff is going to be displayed and it won't. It won't be the best effect to see it in regular light. Oh, this stuff looks good in regular light too. The thing I'm in the middle of working on right now are those triangular canvases, because think about it. I have six triangular canvases. So what do you think I'm doing with four of them? I think I saw your what you started with them. So they're the four yeah. elements, I think. Yes, yeah. yes. And that's what the circular, the canvas, the circular canvas is gonna be a pentagram to go with those and i want to sell it all as one thing and i'm hoping i'm hoping that will be received nicely by people i got two of them done i still have to think about what i'm going to do i got air and earth done i still have to figure out fire and water so because it's i want them to all be cohesive too so mm -hmm. So that's one thing I'm working on and then unicorn heads. And then, you know, they're my whimsical cat watercolors. So, I really like whimsical cats. Yeah, I'll, they seem to be very popular. I should probably start putting those cards on my Etsy store. <laughs> and maybe now that now that I have actually finished my taxes yesterday, I can actually get to do some other tedious <laughs> tedious work on my computer <laughs> right yes yes etsy list making etsy listings is tedious work so uh, well that's so good i mean it's actually good to hear about you you know going in and, and updating etsy and things like that i have a lot of sort of practical web work to do for myself and i and i tend to neglect it so it's it's yeah. nice to uh be reminded yeah. you know so all right and I will, I will tell you where I'm going, where my work will be seen yes. between now and June. So the Union County Senior Art Show runs from April 20th to June 1st in Scotch Plains, New Jersey, uh, 1776 Raritan Road at the Union Co College of Union County. And I'm going to be at Heliosphere. I'm going to be vending at Heliosphere. And that's next week, <laughs> actually. April 28th through 30th, and that's in Piscataway at the Holiday Inn in Piscataway, New Jersey on Kingsbridge Road. Okay, but it's off of, it's in that industrial park. Area. Everyone has GPS now, so hopefully. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah. Anyway, you, they have to. You have to be a member of the convention to come into the thing. Anyway, that's a science fiction convention. I think maybe it's its fourth, fifth year. COVID kind of put things on hold for a couple of years. And the third thing is at Balticon, which is May 26th through 29th, which is Memorial Day weekend. That's in the Inner Harbor of Baltimore. And we're going to have links on their websites for the, the conventions. And Balticon is always a good convention. I, I've been going to Balticon not every year, but many years since probably the 1980s, the mid-70s. So, nice. yeah, it, and it's moved around to different hotels, but now it's in the Inner Harbor, which I think last year there was that Krishna thing across the street. Oh, yes, I remember that. I sent you pictures. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's uh, that's what's happening with me and my art. It's exciting to hear you so busy. I'm, I'm looking forward to getting to see some of the work. If I can get up there for the shows, that would be wonderful. Oh, cool. Yes, it would be. And I'll have I'll have some photographs of my work on our website and also for the newsletter, The Leftscape Lookout, that if you haven't subscribed, I have to ask you why. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's not like we're spamming you every day with email. It's like, every, it's the monthly-ish newsletter. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, awesome. Thank you so much. You're an inspiration. And I love to, I love to hear what you're up to. Thank you. I'm here with Suzanne Nicholson. Suzanne Nicholson is the CEO and Director of Operations of Holistic Solutions, a medical cannabis dispensary in Waterford Township, New Jersey. She comes from a long line of herbalist women who have curated cannabis on the island of Jamaica for hundreds of years. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. So welcome, Suzanne. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited. <laughs> Great. Well, it seems like there must be a lot of hoops that you need to jump through to open any business really um, in New Jersey. And I'm just curious what it's taken to, to for you to open a cannabis business where I imagine there are even more regulations and just so much to go through. So I'm curious about your journey to be where you are now. No, great question. It has taken a lot of patience, perseverance, resilience, resources, and just really leveraging of our network, but more importantly, a lot of faith. I believe I'm a very spiritual person. And I believe that without my faith, I probably would have folded a long time ago. It has not been an easy journey, but when we started off, it was in 2018. It was not under what's known as the CRC, the Cannabis Regulatory Commission. Um, we applied under the Department of Health. So it was an open competitive 30 day window for us to raise our capital, secure our application and submit all of our identifying documents. Unlike what's happening now, which it allows you a rolling period, there is no time limit. You would be able to cure up your application under the CRC and send it back. None of those provisions were allowed for us. We had to raise our own money. And if you may not know, capital lending for women and women of color is abysmal. Um, it is less than 10 cents on the dollar in that if there are opportunities for capital, they normally do not go to women um, that look like me and you. 
um, but more importantly, having investors. We didn't have trust funds. We come from working class families that really didn't have savings. I'm first generational uh, immigrant and also the first person in my family to go to college. So from us, we really bootstrapped our company. I always say believe in yourself and that's where the perseverance comes in. I started my company on my iPhone 6 Plus. I was a single mother of three children. I did not actually have a computer. I went to Experimac, shout out to Experimac over in West Berlin, where I bought a used Mac and I finished my application. I wrote my application. So again, um, that resilience and leveraging your resources and network. So we really pulled together and created something magical. We believed and we continue to say if we were given a fair shot of a fair review of our application, we believe that the cannabis industry was missing that representation from individuals of color, specifically black community, but more importantly, a female voice. The plant is divinely female energy. And in that, I definitely felt that a woman and woman of color was well suited to kind of like reshape the landscape of the industry. Right. Very, very, very cool. So one of the promises of legalization has been like that reconciliation for people and, and many of whom are people of color, you know, who've had been neg- negatively affected by the laws and, and all of that. So how do you see yourself in that movement towards social equity? I think it's very personal. I say that um, I've had individuals in my family deported specifically for cannabis possession, cannabis distribution. Oh. Um, there was a point that we would have been considered legacy operators, even though we've been in a professional legal markets. Both of my nephews were incarcerated during the period of my application and were violated because of their cannabis use because 2018, it was not that long ago, if you use cannabis, you would be arrested. If you use it while you're on probation, that would result in a violation and return back to a penal um, incarcerated setting. And in that, they unfortunately were caught up in that vicious cycle that many black and brown individuals have unfortunately been devastated and very disruptive to our families. So for me, equity is really making sure that individuals like my nephew, my cousins, myself and others really have economic opportunity. It's always um, beneficial that we live in the state of New Jersey because it's the first state in the country that really lowered the threshold and really focused on prioritization that didn't equate to having site control and that you are able to submit an application without that. That was pretty historic, some actions that the CRC took. I'm not sure I understand those terms. Mm-hmm. So site control, in order to apply, um, when I applied in 2018, I had to have a lease, property, rental, building within my possession, and you have to have town support. Currently, under the prioritization review that the Cannabis Regulatory Commission has created, individuals of color, diversely owned groups, veterans, they don't have to have that. They can apply and then later go back and secure those things. When I was applying, those things were mandatory. So if you didn't even have those things, you couldn't even apply. So it really allowed many people to enter. But what we're seeing now is that we want to make sure not only are we allowed to enter into these markets, that there's sustainability of us being able to scale and grow our companies. 
currently right now in New Jersey, a year into legalization, there are no minority operators participating in the adult use market. Meaning that all of the legal cannabis that is sold are sold through corporations and none owned by black and brown communities. Wow. So for us, equity is having holistic solutions with being one of the first black women and black operators in the state also to participate in a hundred million dollar industry that New Jersey is being able to profit off of. We've successfully submitted our application for adult use. And we would hope since we are operational that we would be listed on that April docket. Again, many individuals that look like myself are just looking for an opportunity of having an economic seat at the table to be able to create that generational wealth. But until we were able to, we continue to hope that there are companies like myself that are approved and approved quickly. Because again, legalization that everyone wanted for the most disenfranchised, most impacted, um, are not corporations with millions of dollars of balance sheet. They are standalone mom and pop shops that look like me um, and others that have really pushed forward to really open and operate their companies. Right. Absolutely. So in terms of the products that you have now, it's, it's all for medical use. And I know I and a lot of people I've spoken to are really interested in the differences between the, what you're allowed to or what, what people are using or have available for medical and then what is the recreational? What are the differences between those? So there's a couple of differences. I think potency, you'll always see a higher potency of cannabis um, on the medical side. On the medical side, you'll see a lot more offerings of vari variations of strains. On the recreational side, you will see mid-range potency. Beverages, seltzers, any new offerings and products will always be offered to the medical community first. Mm -hmm. um, in addition, the amount of cannabis that you're allowed to possess is fundamentally different. You can have up to three ounces of legal medical cannabis to where on the rec side, you're only allowed to have one ounce. In addition, the taxes for the product are different. There are no taxes for medical that ended in June of 2022. Currently, all of the tax base is now shifted to the adult use market. So I would always say, and have been taught that many people use for wellness. And I always say that if you're able to get a medical card, um, medical products are probably and assuredly going to be a more quality and affordable product. And again, looking at the adult use market, making sure those products remain affordable by making sure that more operators are brought into the industry to lower those price points. Mm -hmm. that, that makes sense. Um, there's a specific question that I have that a friend of mine who has a medical card talks about, and that is the, what you mentioned, that a lot of times it's, it's about high THC for mm -hmm. a lot of people. And they are more interested in, or at least equally interested in the, the uh, variations of terpenes and qualities. Absolutely, as anyone should be. Mm -hmm. I think initially most people, they go in and shop with their eyes, they look at the board and say, oh, that, that has a high THC without really understanding the cannabinoid profile, the terpene profile, really all of the underlying things that are really better suited for their condition. So I always ask um, patients when they come in, 
what are your interests? And if they are leaning toward a, a higher THC percentage, I kind of ask them why and what they're looking for, and also educate them about other products that are lower, but also as meaningful and as impactful and as curative. So I think it's all about education. One of the things with the rollout of this market is that we are really big proponents on are educating our patients and our consumers about the various uses of cannabis. So again, it's not looking for uh, the highest potency. It's really looking for um, the terpene profiles and all the other great cannabinoids that could really create that wonderful entourage effect that will you know, generate that healing that many patients are looking for, that wellness reset, pain relief. Wonderful. So this is really, it's not really just about current issues for you. For you. It's really part of your family history. So I would really love to know more about that. Like what you learned growing up, what your, what the background is that really brings the more fullness to the experience and understanding for you. Absolutely. Well, my family originally comes from West Africa. We ended up in Jamaica during the slave trade. My family are escaped slaves or are called Maroons that built their own economic societies in the hills that fought the British and kind of really made it with the Tiano Indians, created communities. And in that, many people have ever traveled to the island, I would always say that if you've ever approached and asked, if you want to purchase cannabis, some people call it ganja. Um, it's normally a male, someone having that interaction with you. But lo and behold, there are hundreds of women farmers, like my mother. Many of our African traditions, because of slavery, were disrupted, meaning that our written traditions were destroyed. And we were really left with our oral stories. And very much like African-Americans in this country, the oral stories and traditions were a way that we passed messages and beliefs and customs. And cannabis was a very spiritual, revered plant in our community, not only for its medicinal proponents, but also its spiritual wellness. So my mother, like her mother and her mothers before her, really were farmers and curators of the plant. So just like we grew cucumbers, um, we grew cannabis. It was not that much different. And in that it wasn't special, it was more um, something that we were used to and normalized in our household. And living in America, being a first-generation immigrant, we grew to understand how criminalized it is here. So for us, cannabis has been something curative for many years. That's one of your first go-tos, looking at a plant-based option rather than taking anything pharmaceutical. So that's kind of been the oral stories of sitting at the kitchen table, watching my mother make water, having her catch moon water in the night, and then knowing about the full moon cycles and making sure her plants and talking to her plants and always making sure she provides energy. My mother was big on making sure your energy was high and elevated because again, that karma kind of went out into the universe. My mother believed in manifestation that your mind and your was one of the most powerful things. And if you could manifest an intent, an intention, it would kind of materialize to life. So always speak wellness into something. So for us, we didn't grow up with traditional medicine. My mother always talked about holistic healing. In 1996, my mother was told that she had a year to live and that we should settle for her, her transition. But my mother, being a woman of steadfast belief, felt that if she had cannabis and the strains that she was familiar, she could extend her life. And we worked with my mother from 1996 to 2013 until she transitioned. 
And in that years, my mother used cannabis and she completely went back to being an herbalist woman. And that there were many people, despite their socioeconomic backgrounds, that came to our house for help and assistance because they were sick. And they heard my mother was an herbalist. My mother taught me how to make Rick Simpson oil, homemade oils, tinctures, teas, bombs, and salves, suppositories, not only for herself because she was using them to cure and heal herself, but also too for others. And in those stories and those oral traditions, again, the commonality of holistic, that this was a holistic solution. And when we thought about a name for the company in 2018, nothing better than something that my mother would always say. So Holistic Solutions is really a homage to our mother and the women in our family that have really taught us about cannabis. And I always say proudly, everything I know about cannabis was from my mom. <laughs> nice. Oh, I'm sorry for your loss. And I'm so glad that you had much longer with her than anyone imagined, you know? But. Absolutely. It was a blessed time. Absolutely. And again, I, 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 I credit that to cannabis, that that was a healing, sustainable plant that really kept her here longer than most expected. And in that transition, she was able to pass down that energy and her wisdom. Mm-hmm. So if someone wanted to follow that path and learn more about the, the diverse ways that cannabis can be used. Are you a person to talk to or would you send them in a direction? What would you say about that? Absolutely. Um, I am looking and under Idle Daughters to run a consulting company that we're looking to work with local farmers, especially with our legacy operators, those that really need resume, black and white experience to show diligence, to be able to move forward to scale and build their own companies. We've been looking to run incubators and accelerator programs to really assist I myself, you know, my aunts, they say definitely you're herbalist. I guess most many people call me today and say, Suzanne, I'm not feeling well. What what are your thoughts? And I normally go to something plant-based. So for me, it's just really being a keeper of the tradition, a steward. I have a daughter as well and passing down those traditions and just starting to have those conversations with her. She's very receptive to it. So I think that those traditions not only stop with me, but also my nieces that are very much interested in the plant and the company. So I think for us, it's a blessing to be able to pass down some of these traditions that A, may have died with my mother, but she was a sojourner even in a foreign country that she called home and loved very much, which is the United States. She still kept to her West African and Caribbean roots. Very, very nice. So what is on the horizon that people can learn about in terms of laws that are changing? Are there, you know, there's so many different things. Do you think it's, we're going to have national legalization anytime soon? Any, anything that's coming up that you think you might want to share? I think um, in New Jersey, I think that there's going to be a reconciliation with those who have been incarcerated and making sure that their records can be completely expunged. And we're also looking to work with those currently incarcerated. I always call them the forgotten. There are so many individuals that predominantly are black and brown that are still incarcerated today for de minimis amounts of cannabis use that prior to legalization that are falling between cracks. Um, Those individuals should not be forgotten about. Again, 
We live in a state that legalization is real, but there are still those incarcerated for what is now legal. So I would say that there's a lot of work to do. And in that, we're looking to be partners with legal services, wonderful attorneys like Mike Hoffman and other groups to really work with prisoner reentry programs, workforce development, and expungement. On a national level, safe banking is an absolute must. It is a key necessity for operators like me to be able to have safe access to money markets and to be able to put our funds into a bank, but more importantly, being allowed to have full access to all banking opportunities. I also believe that legalization is on the horizon, whether it's in the next three to five years. But again, cannabis has been used as a free labor workforce um, since one around the late 1950s. And that workforce has been primarily of black and brown people. As states look to legalize, there's a confliction. And in that confliction, those who have used cannabis for intent with malice, meaning intentional harm for black and brown communities, they will always be in conflict of legalization. Because again, building of prisons have become a very lucrative business. And those prisons normally house lots of black and brown bodies. And in that, if we legalize states, it's one less thing for you to be pulled over, have those touch points with law. And as we know, cannabis use amongst all ethnicities and socioeconomic groups are pretty consistent. But as a person of color, your touch point is three times or four times likely to have interaction with law enforcement because of that usage. And as we know, implicit bias and bias is real. And in that often, many times they're not, black and brown individuals are illegally searched, which lead to other areas of judicial involvement that is unwanted. I also think that there's a huge conversation with foster care and children, especially mothers who have used cannabis. Prior to legalization, the utilization of cannabis would meant that you would have a child welfare case. Not only could your child be removed, but you could have an unwanted case supervision with the state just based on cannabis use. Again, the laws are only recently changed, but there are a lot of children that have been separated from their families, adopted out, parental rights have been terminated for cannabis use. If a mother tested positive for any substance, specifically cannabis, that maybe would be put on a hospital hold and not allowed to be returned to that mother. So again, and this mostly impacts poor women, minority women, women that are most vulnerable. So I think that there's a huge amount of education and advocacy that has to be done. And I look forward to being a part of that and really the elevation of cannabis um, to eventually be completely descheduled and legal throughout the 51 states. Yes, 51. <laughs> Absolutely. So are there organizations that people can join to be part of that fight or is, who, who would you say? Absolutely. MM, uh, Medical Marijuana, Minorities for Medical Marijuana. Michelle Santos and Jeff Booker are the key leaders, along with Leo Bridgewater in the state of New Jersey. I think that's an excellent group to be a part of. 
New Jersey Cannabis Business Association, Minority Cannabis Business Association, New Jersey Trade Association, Chambers of Commerce. I also believe in, I'm a proud member of Zeta Phi Beta Sorority Incorporated, the Divine Nine, educating HBCs and historically black universities on the opportunities of research and grants and development of this new green industry. I'm also a proud member of Jack and Jill of America, which is a women's group that raises and grooms future leaders of America. And I also believe in working with those groups to reduce the stigmatization of cannabis. Again, opioids and other pain releasers have devastated our country. And in that, many individuals are looking for an alternate method to relieve and treat their underlying condition. And as we know, opioids have been disastrous. And if individuals have a plant-based option, why should we restrict that from them? There are lots of children that have horrible terminal conditions and degenerative disease that need pain management. And currently in the system of pharmaceutical, pills are offered. And most of those pills have opioids and other heavy sedatives. And if you're a parent, if you have a child that's very young and that needs that level of relief, what's the likelihood of addiction setting in between that child's age and growth to development? Providing parents another option of having a plant-based relief for their children is a reasonable option. I think it's a humane option. So for me, I am really big on advocacy and research I think there needs to be a cannabis project here that we could work with universities. I pitched it to Rowan and Stockton that, you know, we need the youth to really look at, you know, those who could use assistance of getting out of incarcerated settings. Um, again, we could start right here in our own great state of opening and releasing and helping people kind of restore and build their lives back together. And I think that, with cannabis, it's an opportunity for us to really do the right thing and have black and brown individuals leading that charge. Thank you so much. We really appreciate you having you on the show. <laughs> oh, no, this has been amazing. I was really honored to really speak. This is something that I'm passionate about. This is personal to me. I love cannabis and I love everything about the culture and the industry and exploring it and elevating it is uh, my privilege. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I have an update about my conversation with Suzanne Nicholson. I'm excited to report that Holistic Solutions is now open for adult use as well as medical cannabis. So it's great that she was able to get that license quickly and expand the horizon. So good, good news. You got questions? <laughs> we got answers. And today's question was seen on the internet, and I thought it was a good question. And the question <laughs> is, what was your biggest ever waste of money? This is tough for me. I don't, I mean, maybe the, the, the buy beach towel that I tried to buy on, <laughs> on Facebook. <laughs> 
No, it wasn't Facebook. It was it was uh, Amazon, which was not a beach towel. It was like a little tiny printed thing that was in the shape of a hand towel, and it, I was very mad. <laughs> but that's not it wasn't a lot of money, but it was annoying. <laughs> I don't know what's yours. Oh man, you know I had an answer when I saw it online, and now I don't remember what I wrote. And this is from um, a friend of yours that does a weekly question or something. Yeah, or something? it's it's one of our former interviewees, uh, Susan Kagan, who's a friend of mine, and, and she posts this every Thursday on her page to spark conversation. I don't know. Let's see. My biggest ever waste of money. God, there's so much. I, <laughs> I don't want to say it's the greenhouse that's sitting in my garage right now, but oh, no. I hope good. it's not. <laughs> I we would have to get back to people in on this one because I don't, I don't have a ready answer, honestly. I mean, I've no. spent a lot of money on things that people might think was foolish, you know, <laughs> making making CDs and things like that that I I didn't break even on by a long shot. But those things matter to me, you know. So yeah, not, no, I, I mean, there could be. I could say, I could say, let's let me say, and this kind of dovetails into into my prior interview. This this show uh the art supplies that i got as a child and never used because i was saving them for the perfect time and now they're no good mm. i think that is a huge waste of money i had a lot of things there's a lot of things in this house that are in that category where you know you buy you buy the fancy thing and you know it's it, it's if it's clothes or if it's consumable thing that you're saving for a special occasion and the special occasion never comes and then you know it's it's 20 years later and the thing is just unusable because the because the stuff wasn't made to last for 20 years you know right the 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 stuff the chemicals lost eff efficacy or they reacted with something and now it's goo instead of some you know it, it's unusable goo or it's stinky or <laughs> or it got moldy in the in the 20 years it's been in the basement and the unusable goo that's my latest album or bad name <laughs> <laughs> well that's a good answer i get that yeah so make the art wear the dress do the thing yes <laughs> Yes, eat the food, do the thing, use the thing. Because, yeah, it sucks to like say, I'm going to finally use this. And then you open up the box and <laughs> unusable <Right>. goo. <laughs> well, that is a good, that's a, that's a good reminder. I can't think of specifics, but I think I'm sure I do that also. <laughs> so <it's good laughs> Everybody to be does reminded. it. Yes. Right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. I am Robin Renee, and you can find me on Facebook at Robin Renee Fan or on Instagram at Robin Renee Music, on Twitter at Spirit Rock Sexy. And if you want to connect with me on Discord, I am there as Andrew Genus. And I'm Wendy Sheridan. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Wendy Cards, on Twitter at Wendy Designs, and on Etsy at Wendy Cards with a Z. Because consistent marketing is something I don't know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> and remember, you can always reach out to all of us on social media at Leftscape. We figured it out by Leftscape. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, that was you. <laughs> well. 
<laughs> and remember, oh, it's, send us your questions and we might answer it on an upcoming show. So until next time, be well, partake responsibly, and keep left. You've been listening to the Leftscape Podcast. Sound engineering by Wendy Sheridan. Show notes by Robin Renee. Fake sponsor messages by Ariel Sheridan. Web hosting by InMotion. Remote recording by Squadcast. If you like what you hear, please share it with your friends. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Leftscape. Become a patron of our show for as little as $1 a month at patreon.com slash Leftscape. Thanks for listening. <laughs>